Welcome back to the Movie Babble Podcast. I am your host, Nick Cush, and uh, this time on the pod, we're we're Sundancing. Uh, Sundance Film Festival just ended about a week ago, and I saw probably far too many movies for my mental health, but you know, that is just the way it goes for film festivals. Uh, but joining me here on this pod to discuss everything that the festival entails is the unofficial official Sundance correspondent uh, for Movie Babble, Spencer Henderson. What's going on, buddy? Just uh, still trying to recover from, as we like to call it, the dance still. So, yeah. <laughs> do you, so do you prefer, I feel like, so this is our, what, our second year in a row doing this virtual. Um, yeah. Do you, how much do you miss the, in, the in-person experience at this point? I feel like there's like um, benefits as well as downsides to it. Um, the obvious downside for me is just, missing out on kind of that theatrical experience um like I know that you and I both saw Possessor in person and Mm -hmm. you just can't really match the energy of the crowd with a movie like that at at a virtual festival like it just doesn't work that way because you have to hear the extreme nature of people's reactions after but then at the same time there is like the convenience factor of you can it almost feels like you can watch more movies because you're not rushing from theater to theater and also you can just like roll out of bed and just like start your your whatever you have on the schedule today so it feels a lot more informal which of course it is when you do a virtual so it's it's there's there's pros and cons yeah i always i've been i still haven't been able to figure out like exactly what like what films dominate the conversation both years because for this year, the way it works is you get like your tickets for the premiere screenings, the second screenings, and also your tickets for all the movies that win the awards. And I had no idea like what were the big movies. Like I tried to be like, oh, that movie's interesting. That movie has Michael Monroe in it. I like her. That movie must be a big deal. I'll watch it. Uh, and then the awards come out and it's like, oh, I saw none of these movies. And now I have to catch up with these all in like two days. So I feel like that's like the hardest part for me is I just don't know what any of these movies how they're tracking or like you don't really hear much of those reactions unless you're on twitter at all times which i try not to be because it's just just tough um so yeah you you also of course get you know texts from somebody who you trust very much named spencer and then right exactly and then you and then you watch movies and get wildly disappointed and in the process break my heart (laughs) yeah you're the you're the guy that has the pulse of film twitter for me and i just rely on you for everything Uh, (laughs) but yeah i like you said i was going to bring up the the possessor experience because that is still like one of my favorite movie going experiences in my life like just being just going into a dark theater not having any idea what's going to happen except you know it's a brandon cronenberg movie and then you just get blown off your seat in the first five minutes it's just fantastic and then i feel like the other part that you miss is like well for one i don't miss the crowded buses that take you from uh theater to theater but there is a fun part of that where people you get you get to like offhandedly hear people's responses to stuff and that's where you kind of hear the buzz and people hate movies that you end up really excited to see uh, because of their reaction to it. So I feel like that's going to Eccles and all those is fun. So I feel like that's always going to be a bummer for as long as this is virtual. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. Um, It's like sometimes 
it, the best thing I can hear at a Sundance Film Festival is like some old person saying, I didn't like that one. Cause then it's like, <laughs> it immediately gets onto my radar. And I'm exactly. Like, oh, okay, exactly. Yeah, like, that's probably has something interesting in it. And there are a couple of movies this year. I felt like it would have been really cool to see with the crowd that I'll talk about later. I feel like just, you know, some movies need that kind of crowd experience. So yeah how did you feel about the movies in general like how do you think this compared to either last year's slate or previous years i felt like um one thing that we've kind of both alluded to and haven't outright said yes there was no christopher abbott movie this year so that was a big disappointment tough one but yeah yeah so that was a crippling blow but other than that i actually thought overall this is a more consistent year than last year i would say just because um, there were more movies that I was like, holy cow, that was awesome when it ended compared to last year. I don't know if you'll agree with me on that, but I totally was like really impressed by the lineup this year. Yeah, I'm still, I'm thinking about Christopher Rabbit and I'm wondering whatever happened to On the Count of Three because I feel like that was a big deal last year and I just, I don't, I don't know what happened to that yeah, movie. Yeah, what happened to that movie? It's that, I don't even know if that movie got picked up or if it's just just chilling Drod Carmichael just has the film reels in his in his house he's just showing it to neighbors yeah yeah right yeah. <laughs> um yeah it's I this year I thought I was I was m- most impressed with the documentaries um personally I think I'm looking at my top five and of the festival and four of them were documentaries um I don't know if like wow four if, of them were documentaries yeah Wow, I really okay, love that. Cool. I, there was a comp, there was a few that I picked up on at the end. That I just I, they really blew me away, and we'll yeah. talk to the, talk about those in a few. But okay. it wasn't like the like the features, their like their narrative features, like were bad. I mean, there were some bad ones. We'll get to we'll get to summary in a few. Um, but uh, it's just I, for some reason they just I thought all of them were mostly just good to okay, uh, with a few exceptions. But um, yeah, I just like there's something about the documentary filmmaking this year that I thought was just very, very, very good. I don't even I don't know what was the cause of that, but just I guess just the way it worked for me. But um, I guess we'll we'll, we'll get into our cat- categories here. So um, so like last year when we had uh, our post Sundance pod, we're gonna go through um, I guess the only way we can go through the movies we watched without with 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 some semblance of structure is to have a few categories to. to kind of just structure everything we're talking about here and we'll go through our picks for each of these and then I guess ultimately figure out which movies are our favorites and least favorites throughout the process um, but our first category here is the most Sundance movie which I feel like you know Sundance has been around since what 80s 89 I feel like uh, there's very much a there's a clear lineage of the Sundance movie you know maybe the the movie like a, a crowd plays or something like that there's always something there's i feel like a sundance movie is a very tangible thing to a lot of people at this point so what did you have as the most sundance movie um so i actually had the same as you but i switched it last minute so we could have a little bit of variety so i actually went with palm trees and power lines um this was in the u.s dramatic competition and the reason why i did this is because i feel like there's always the Sundance movie, kind of like what you're saying, which is oftentimes like an indie kind of crowd pleaser. But if you actually go to Sundance, then a lot of times it's like movies that are depressing as shit that are like indie <laughs> movies. And you just like, it's like getting beaten down every day and then waking back up to 
to start it all over again. So Palm Trees and Power Lines is like this coming of age film about a girl who meets this older man and they kind of start to um, see each other and become romantically involved. And obviously the relationship that the, um, there's a, a clear abuse of power structure in this relationship because the guy is, the girl is 17, she's underage. And um, this movie like is emotionally devastating. It's like a movie that you watch and you are just completely, what do I even do with myself? What, what should I do with now that I just put myself through that experience? But it's like also it has that kind of um, really gentle kind of raw and authentic feeling that you tend to get from a lot of Sundance movies. Um, and I really appreciated this one. I feel like the, the response has been a little bit kind of like, wow, that was harrowing. But um, I think that there's a lot that this movie kind of kind of has to say. And it was the, the direction um, is great. I'll look up the director while you potentially interject. <laughs> yeah, I, there's, I guess, another overarching idea. There were so many depressing movies this year. I don't know what that what that trend speaks too much but the few fun movies or i guess the movies that had like a light tone really kind of like cut through all that because they're just so wildly different because they just weren't so pessimistic and having a massive hatred for everything um and that kind of blends into my pick which is cha-cha real smooth which is i think one of two or three very nice movies this year uh, i think i mean this movie i immediately thought of coda which is funny because both of these both coda and cha-cha real smooth were picked up by apple tv plus and huge deals i think cha-cha real smooth was actually the biggest of the festival this year right yeah and on also another similarity is both won the audience award yeah know, so. so and i have i haven't seen shithouse cooper rafe's first movie um but I was I've been meaning to watch it because it was really acclaimed and it was kind of one of those micro budget movies that kind of cut through and made a big and became a big deal and I've been looking to come back to it. So this was my first, I guess, experience with Cooper Rafe and he's what 25 now as a director, which is holy shit. I'm 26 and what am I doing? But um, yeah, this movie I feel like got a huge praise from audiences. Like you said, won the audience award, uh, and I can certainly see why because it's just this really nice movie about people just trying to figure it out i feel like there's a long lineage of sundance movies about white dudes just trying to be like what do i do with my life and kind of get into some conclusion from there but yeah this movie stars cooper if he also directed it and wrote it and i think he produced it as well but he's just this post uh, college guy who has no idea what to do with himself he's doesn't really have a job he works at a fast food restaurant called meat sticks uh which i thought was pretty funny um, but yeah, he just doesn't really know what to do with his life. And then he starts to, he gets this side hustle, uh, gig as a party starter at bar mitzvahs over the summer. Cause he just has a really infectious personality. He gets people to dance at this other party that he goes to and all the, all the Jewish moms come up to him and say, Hey, do you want to run all of our bar mitzvahs this summer? He's like, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, and then, then he meets Dakota Johnson, who is a, divorced i guess she's a divorced mom uh, she has an autistic child and they form a relationship and it's a whole basically the movie revolves around this big will they won't they 
kind of sexual tension between Cooper Rafe and Dakota Johnson, and she's she has a new fiance, so that obviously muddies the waters a bit more. Um, but yeah, I thought this movie was was okay. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people really were over the moon for it, and I think similar to Coda, I could really see where the movie was trying to get me to cry and emote. And uh, sometimes it just didn't work. Maybe I'm just a heart and soul. It's very possible. But um, I know you saw this movie too, right? So what did you think? Real quick, I just want to give the credit. Palm Trees and Power Lines is directed by Jamie Dack. Great job to her. But cha-cha real smooth. I'm in complete agreement with you. Basically everything that you just said, um, I totally agree with. I think this movie is charming. I think that it's perfectly good is how I would describe it. Like I wasn't offended by it I wasn't blown away by it in the way that other people seem to like when it when it ended I was like that felt very much like the audience award winner one and two (laughs) it felt very much um like just kind of exactly what you expect when the movie starts I felt like like it didn't really surprise me or challenge me in any ways um I feel like there is some kind of interesting developments around certain characters but what the movie kind of feels like is it it uh, it it all just kind of in a weird way feels like a, a vanity project for this guy um in a way that kind of put me off at certain points in the movie yeah i i had a few moments of this movie where it really got me i was like i was almost mad at it I was like damn i see exactly what you're doing movie and it worked um and as I've gotten further away from it, my it's like kind of fallen in my estimation more and more. So I wonder if like three months from now we I come back and say this movie's a piece of shit, or if I feel similarly, you know? Because yeah, really... I definitely I wouldn't go that far personally. <laughs> but, but it's yeah, like we'll it's yeah, it's I don't know. I I feel like I feel like last year what you're saying is kind of how I felt about Coda. Yeah, it's like a, I didn't I love it, but I was Coda's like, it was, a nice it was movie, good. and it just got yeah. nominated today for a bunch of Oscars, yeah. so. What mm-hmm. do I know, you know? Um, but yeah, I totally see what you're saying with the Cooper Ray for Vanity Project kind of thing. He seems like a nice guy from all the interviews I've seen. And so he's super wanna... charming. Yeah. He's, he's super really charming. charming he's guy. a good actor too. So it's like, I don't want to come down like I'm the like I'm hating on this man. I just felt like it, the whole movie kind of revolves around him, which I guess kind of can can be said that, you know, it's a point in life where the world does revolve around people. And you're just like trying to figure yourself out and all that. And the movie's about him. But there are some characters who feel kind of towards the end, like they get, you know, short change to me. So, yeah, it's it's a lot of this movie works in a lot of the tropes that you've seen of these like white dudes trying to figure themselves out where every side character has their thing. You know, like Leslie Mann plays his mom in this movie. I love Leslie Mann, but she's just she's she's a she's a bipolar divorcee, and that's just kind of what she is. You know, and I think the movie does a lot to try to like humanize these people, and especially the, the the Dakota Johnson character, it does the most with. But um, in the in the end, ultimately, like all these side characters are used to like prop up this guy's story in the end. So it's like, oh, okay, so all that what was all that humanizing really for? It feels a lot cheaper in retrospect because of that. And uh, it's also really funny that this guy's main flaw is that he's like, he cares too much, you know, like he doesn't really have like a super negative trait, which I don't know, maybe that comes in from writing a part for yourself or maybe he just wanted to be a nice guy. Who knows? But it just, yeah, there's something weird about all of that and kind of, 
not totally fake because I would also recommend this movie ultimately, but there's something kind of like, like, huh? What what are we doing here? So totally agree. I like. I feel like this is probably the most we're gonna line up. Maybe the entire maybe. the entire <laughs> night. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to we'll get to your favorite movie later on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think people seem to really like that movie. So it's good good for them. Uh, we'll move on to our next category, which is uh, the best midnight selection slash general horror movie, because there are other horror movies outside of the midnight section of Sundance. And um, I feel like the midnight section is always one of my favorites. I really enjoy the horror movies that Sundance brings, because they're, they're almost always super bizarre or boundary-pushing, uh, just re-possessor again. Um, and I just always appreciate that. I'm probably, this, this is going to be one of the few experiences where I see something I probably have never seen before, or just is just a very cool change on the norm. So, um, yeah, what was your yeah, pick for this category? Well, first off, let's not forget last year's Midnight brought us Mother Schmuckers, which that's true. I'm still <laughs> waiting for Mother Schmuckers on the count of three mm-hmm. and Mother Schmuckers. I'm waiting yep, for the criteria. The, the two for, yeah, the criteria. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Um, well, first off, I, I just want to acknowledge something that I, I forgot to say um, in the general impressions of the festival, the U.S. dramatic, I saw all but one and a fair portion of those were horror movies. And I just think that that's kind of interesting, personally, like you have Alice or yeah, Alice is, has horror elements, but then you have Master, you had um, Nanny, which went on to win Grand Jury. And it's just like, and then I. Uh, yeah, structurally, in some ways, I, I would kind of consider emergency to have some things that are pretty horrifying in it. Yeah. But, um, but I I went with for this pick Fresh, um, which is a movie that I don't want to give too much away about, um, just because I think that the movie is genuinely surprising, um, and interesting. It kind of reminded me a couple years ago of when I saw, um, our favorite actor Christopher Abbott in Piercing, which is a movie that really shocked and and like surprised me and I feel like the audience as well that I saw it with my one kind of gripe is that I wish that I could have seen fresh with an audience just because it's such a crazy movie and there's so much going on in it and so many disgusting things that go down by the end of this movie that you kind of wish that you could be next to like some yeah, like I said, older lady who's just completely <laughs> disturbed and and like, what is the newer generations coming to? You know, like that type of that type of dynamic. But uh, yeah, it's this movie is really really entertaining. It got picked up by Searchlight, I believe, um, which is crazy. I did not expect like a a decent sized studio to pick this movie up, but I would totally recommend it. There are some side characters who I think are completely inconsequential to the plot, and in retrospect, feel really sloppily put in there but um the kind of central premise is so fun and and (laughs) surprising that i i definitely really enjoyed this one yeah this is one i i missed out on um it's uh, sebastian stands in this movie and he seems to have a a little a little fun from what i've heard a fun uh time of it yeah um I don't want to give too much away from what I say but it kind of feels like Sebastian Stan having his kind of um uh American psycho moment like Christian Bale <laughs> had in that movie where it's just like it's a pretty insane performance. It's honestly something that you can imagine like Christopher Abbott doing like this type of a thing and I, it's it's interesting. So this kind of filled that void for me this year. Yeah. Everything comes back to Christopher Abbott in the end. Um 
Yeah, first time filmmaker, Mimi Cave, uh, too. Good for her, getting her movie sold. Um, I think this movie's going straight to Hulu in some kind of weird deal with Searchlight because now because Disney is their are their overlords and they doesn't work for the Disney Plus brand. But um, oh yeah, yeah. I wish this showed on Disney Plus. That would be amazing. <laughs> put it right next to Encanto. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're the same movie, basically. Exactly right. <laughs> um, we'll move on to my pick, uh, which is. A movie I quite liked. I think you're a little less, a little lesser on it, but I, I really liked Resurrection, which was a uh, another Rebecca Hall joint. Uh, she is kind of on a roll where I've always really liked her, even going back to I think like The Town and even before that, The Prestige. I feel like was the first time a lot of people saw her. I just I've always loved her. I always thought she was a really talented just person and now she's you know she's a director she directed passing which was i thought really good and continues to get better in my mind as i get away from it um and now she is kind of like cornered the market on these movies about women just having a just a big old breakdown um because we had like we had the night house last year which was at sundance or i think two years ago um and then we had um christine which i think is one of the better movies like about mental illness in the past decade. I think that movie's terrific. And um, yeah, this is another movie where I don't really want to say much about it. Another one I really would have loved to see with an audience because it gets so bizarre, um, the, the, the twists and turns this movie makes. I heard a really good comparison where someone said it was like a, like a 90s Ashley Judd movie that had like a mental break, like just a mental snap and it just went into crazyville. Because uh, this movie gets pretty insane after the first act, um, in ways I thought were really interesting, uh, and I think it gets into kind of the way. It's hard to say what is exact, what exactly is real in this movie, and what's kind of like operating as a big allegory or metaphor. But uh, this movie is a something, and it's another maybe all-time performance from Rebecca Hall. So, really loved Resurrection. Yeah. Um... I like this movie. Um, I for a long time I was like hook, line, and sinker with this one, uh, especially because of that lead performance, which um, you obviously mentioned. Rebecca Hall, super talented actress, of course. Uh, Christine is also one of my like favorite performances. Period of the past um, few past decade, I suppose. But I. Uh, this movie like for example has a monologue like right about in the middle of the movie and it's one of the best pieces of acting that i've seen in in a while in terms of just like that type of a that type of a performance or a scene and rebecca hall like has to it seems like she's always going to dark places as an actress and this (laughs) movie is okay (laughs) yeah me too this movie is like no exception and Tim Roth um, is also in this movie. And once again, I don't want to give too much away, but there's like a certain feeling I always get when I see Tim Roth in a movie. And this <laughs> movie kind of confirms those suspicions. Um, the only thing that didn't really work for me about this movie, and we kind of chatted about it, and I'm obviously, I won't spoil it, but I just wish this movie ended literally just one scene earlier, just because I think that the, ending scene made it a little more messy um than i than i personally would prefer um but other than that i do think that this is a really solid movie it's kind of funny how it is if in a lot of ways this feels like like you said the ashley judd thing's a great example i was thinking kind of like a b movie in some ways 
um, especially when it's revealed what's going on. It's so bizarre and out there that um, it's just like, this is, I've never seen a movie kind of handle this type of a thing in this way. So I would recommend it, even though I, it wasn't a complete home run for me. I still really like this movie. Yeah, the ending, I think if this movie was like a theater movie, it'd be one of those movies that gets a cinema score of like a D. People walk out of it and they're like, what the fuck was that? That was stupid, you know? Um, so I quite enjoyed it because I thought it was just, it really it really just goes for it in the end. And I appreciated that. Yeah, I think it, the Tim Roth character is, he is just, I just, I, I love Tim Roth whenever he's, he shows up. I guess the best way to describe it with this movie without spoiling anything is that Tim Roth is a man from Rebecca Hall's past and he shows up again and things kind of go crazy from there. And yeah, you, I feel like the Netflix has kind of brought this kind of movie back or the the bad version of this where you have the woman who is some kind of executive at some random company that they never really describe, but she has a few board meetings where she's like, oh yes, business, business, quarterly reports, business. Uh, and this movie starts with that for like half an hour and then it just has a psychotic meltdown. <laughs> it goes into crazyville. So, um, and then the, the business meetings are affected by said psychotic breakdown in pretty, yeah. <laughs> pretty fun and entertaining ways. Yeah. So. I also like, you mentioned that there's a, that really amazing monologue. I think this movie is semi self-aware because there's a really good reaction to that monologue. <laughs> that was that's really, really funny. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like border that like that's the type of thing you'd see in like a spoof movie. The like because yeah, it's like there was a point in the monologue where I was so taken by her performance that I forgot <laughs> that there was a person also <laughs> listening to the monologue. And it just and it's keeps just going like, too. Yeah, it's like what do you do long? with that yeah. information? It's so crazy. It's <laughs> it's the best. Yeah. So yeah, there's a there's a lot to like about this movie. I'm hoping <laughs> this gets seen by a lot of people because it's a lot of fun. Um, but we'll move on from there. Um, our next category is the best documentary category, uh, which I kind of alluded to before, where I loved a lot of the documentaries that played at the festival this year. But um, what was your favorite? There were a couple, yeah, just awesome documentaries um, at this festival. And I watched a lot of them um, after the awards, just because I kind of wanted to get a sense of what were the ones that everyone like thought were, were great. and. The best one I saw by far was Fire of Love, um, which I know you saw as well. And this is a, a film that uh, follows this married couple who basically they were volcanologists and they were just obsessed with volcanoes and they traveled the world uh, making like educational films about said volcanoes. And they... Um, the footage in this film that they captured is unbelievable. Like some of the most incredible footage of events occurring on the earth that I've ever seen in a movie in my entire life. I was just com consistently blown away by this movie and what I was, what I was seeing, what these people were in person witnessing. Like there's shots involving lava and them in these suits that look like if you were to just view it out of out of context yeah it would look like a like 50s science fiction movie but it's taking place on our earth um and i kind of wrote this in my letterbox review what really moved me about this movie is that it's a movie that is about the 
like human pursuit of knowledge and how beautiful of a thing that is, especially when you have people who are as committed and as um, entranced by our natural world. And I was just, I, I thought that narration over this movie was really, really in a way like almost hypnotic. Like it really drew me into the movie and it, it added this kind of haunting quality to the film. Um, I, I honestly just really can't heap enough praise on this movie. I thought that it was, it was absolutely incredible. Yeah, this movie's really good. Um, and it's the narrations from Miranda July, famed director. So that was really fun. Um, yeah, this and this movie's also edited to play like a like a French New Wave movie. So there's really fun kind of era specific pop uh, songs going along with a lot of the footage. And uh, yeah, like you said, the footage itself is just crazy good. It's shot on like 16 millimeter film, and it's just it's like tactile in a way that like that just like you just can't shoot stuff like that anymore on digital it just doesn't look the same it's so tactile and rich and like the magma of the volcanoes is just it's so cool and uh yeah these characters uh think of these characters these people um the what are they the, the calves the crafts the other names um yeah, the crafts i believe yeah they yeah. are very interesting people where they their whole background is kind of like they have like this storybook like kind of biographies where they grew up on separate sides of the town they didn't know what they were then they they fell in love and saved enough money to go to a volcano for their honeymoon then they said hey let's do this for a living and then they actually did it <laughs> so then they filmed all this stuff and then i think maurice is the is the husband's name and he just his goal was to canoe down a, a red volcano into the water which just kind of gives you a sense of what he's like. And uh, yeah, this movie was, I thought was really interesting. This was actually my first movie of the festival. I liked it quite a bit and it's gotten better since I watched it too. I just, yes, yeah, so like I said, some of those images are just kind of, kind of stupid good. Like you can't believe this really happens on our planet. It was really amazing. Just one more thing I want to add. Um, I saw somebody kind of describe that this movie felt almost kind of like Wes Anderson-y. And I kind of got that vibe too, but I think it was because of like the beanies they wear look like the, <laughs> the Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou uh, beanies. And it was just like kind of funny to make that connection. I yeah, guess. he loves his French New Wave movies too. So you can kind of make the connection there. Yeah, this movie is... Uh... It truly is one of a kind. Like, I don't know. It's kind of amazing when you think about the footage you get and then they're took like five feet from thousands of degrees of torture and fire. Insane. Insane. It's, yeah. it's truly crazy. And I actually thought I, I, I learned a decent amount. Like I learned that yep. the, the gray, the gray volcanoes are the ones you got to look out for, not the red ones, which I didn't really realize, but now I know, I guess stay away from those. And uh, yeah, it's just super Super cool movie, really fun experience, super immersive. One of those I really wish I would have watched in a theater. I imagine, well, I hope this gets some kind of like IMAX release. I think it's like... Same. I think it's like Nat Geo bought it, so I think they're also owned by Disney, so I don't know how that's going to work, but we'll see. Free Solo was Nat Geo, and it got a it got an IMAX release, so there's hope. <laughs> there is hope. <laughs> um, but yeah, I actually... Um, I guess we'll go into my pick now, but... My pick, well, so my real favorite documentary is actually my favorite movie, The Fest, so we're saving that for later. Uh, but my my backup is the documentary Navalny, which was a late addition to the festival. I think it was literally the last movie to make its premiere. 
uh, but it's about uh, the Russian political, um, I guess, figure, not a leader, because obviously he of all the things that happens, but he's a, he's a guy running against Putin in Russia, and Alexei Navalny, and it's kind of one of those crazy stories that is sounds like it came straight from a political thriller book or something like that. It's so bizarre, and I wasn't really, I guess, keeping up with the news here, so I didn't really know much about the story, but he was... He was essentially poisoned by Putin and the the Kremlin because uh, obviously he's running against Vladimir Putin and Putin's not going to have that. So um, he was poisoned and almost died. And luckily he was rushed out of a Russian hospital into into a hospital in Berlin and he survived. And this documentary kind of picks up with him trying to figure out who who killed or who tried to murder him and how did the poisoning happen and ultimately how he's going to kind of go back to Russia because he feels like he's in a position of power where uh, if he goes back to Russia, it's almost a sense of like Putin and all these people legitimizing his cause. And um, if he goes to prison, then um, they can kind of lead to some sort of uprising or opposition versus Putin. So I thought it was a super fascinating documentary. There's a section right in the middle of this movie where... Uh, he tracks down someone who, uh, one of the people involved in his poisoning, and it's kind of one of the most amazing exper- like experiences. But one of the best, probably will be one of the best scenes of the year when this movie comes out. It's just kind of like one of those holy shit! I can't believe I'm watching this kind of moments, and it's a, uh, yeah, it's a really, I think it's a really fascinating movie. It does not paint an entirely positive picture of Alexei Navalny either, which I thought was really fascinating. Um, I wish it would, would have went like a like a little further in some instances, but it does not paint him as this kind of white knight figure that's going to rescue Russia, but obviously a little better than the opposition that he's going against. So I thought this movie was fascinating. I think it comes out with, through HBO Max later on this year, and it's, it's, it's truly like staggering, some of the stuff that happened in this movie. Yeah, I missed this one. I'm really sad I did. It'll come up later. Yeah, it's uh, I really can't recommend this movie enough. It's really, it's like more captivating than most thrillers that have come out in the last decade. It's, it's um, he he explains, Navalny uh, explains at one point where he says like, it's it's almost too good to to be true that someone would be poisoned, and that's exactly why it happened so much to Russian like opposition forces because it seems so wacky that when people report on it, it doesn't seem true, and that's that kind of like insidious. Kind of well, I mean not insidious, but just kind of that kind of scary idea about how Putin's just out here. <laughs> it's kind of terrifying, and he they really explore that a lot. So, really terrific movie. Um, but we'll move on from there, which I feel like this is always one of my favorite uh, categories. It's the the biggest uh, WTF movie. I can't speak. Uh, typically, there's always a few of these at Sundance where you just watch it and you're like, what the what the fuck did I just watch pretty much <laughs> last year that was Mother Schmuggers for me um, and this year we have the the same movie so why don't you uh, intro that yeah uh, this movie is called Speak No Evil um, which uh, it was in the midnight section of the festival and it was directed by a man named Christian Taftrup um, and introducing this movie what he said was, I wanted to make the most unpleasant movie ever made. <laughs> and I feel like while maybe it doesn't quite reach that level of unpleasant, like I feel like I've seen some pretty 
some pretty messed up stuff in my in my day this movie definitely is pretty horrific and disturbing and uncomfortable um but i also thought that like it was like incredibly well executed personally the the general premise of this movie is that there's a danish family they're on a on a trip to i believe it's italy and um they meet this Dutch family who they kind of hit it off with on this trip. And the Dutch family reaches out to them, says, Hey, we had so much fun on our trip. Will you guys come visit us and like and spend some time with us? And a lot of what the movie starts off as is kind of these uncomfortable social interactions, which I would not consider myself like the most, um, comfortable person in social situations (laughs) so a lot of this movie long before the really disturbing stuff starts happening I was already super disturbed by this movie and then um the last I guess third of the movie happens and it just goes into full-blown bonkers town where things get super upsetting and um really really gruesome and and terrible Um, If I was to compare this to something, it would honestly be kind of like funny games, but um, I would almost say that this movie goes even farther than funny games because it's just so, uh, so brutal and what it, what it finishes the story with. Yeah, this, uh, this movie's a lot when it comes to the end. I think this was picked up by Shudder and that kind of fits in perfectly with what they do. Uh, but yeah, I don't really want to say much more than that. It does get incredibly unpleasant. <laughs> There's one scene where uh, a dad is yelling at his kid. And it just goes on for forever. And it makes you feel really bad. <laughs> and you kind of just want to squirm. And it just keeps going and going. Um, yeah, this movie has made up a lot of those situations where it's like teetering right on the edge of where it's like, you know, these people could be good natured. All right, we'll stick around. They make it up to us. All right, it's night. They're kind of okay. They're a little weird. And it kind of toes that line the entire time until, yeah, it goes uh, bizarre from there. It's uh, there, It truly there, is one of those kind of really just fucked up endings that will stay with you. Yeah, there's there's a scene um, involving a car turning around that put more dread in me than anything yeah. I've seen in a very, very long time. It's just like so upsetting and and i mean like the scene that you talk about um is horrific and really really um nasty and it makes you feel gross but the movie somehow even outdoes itself there like it it just gets way way worse even after that (laughs) scene so yeah yeah this is definitely the wtf movie of the year no question this is like the there was nothing that came close for me yeah the lead the lead uh the lead guy the lead husband He's a re- he plays he's really good in this movie. I gotta find his name, mm-hmm. but uh, he just he's like this guy who just can't quite stick up for himself. He's really nice and good natured, but he just won't just like if people kind of get in his way. His name's Morton Buren. I thought he was really good in this movie, but he just he just won't take that extra step and stand up for himself, and that plays a very crucial role in this movie. Uh, I thought he was really good. Everyone, I think everyone. Um, just plays a really good part in this movie and acts it terrifically. So I hope this people, I hope this movie gets seen by a lot of people and they get upset like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is a hard one to recommend. I will say that. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those. It's just like I liked it, but Thanks. I 
don't watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're easily upset, then do not seek this movie out. Or do, yeah. who knows? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll move on. But I think that, so the next category is uh, kind of a downer. Our least favorite movie of the fest. Figure, let's get this out of the way now before we move on any further. But uh, another category where we also had the exact same movie. Uh, so uh, why don't you introduce Summering? Yeah, I was really hoping it wouldn't turn out this way. And I thought of choosing a different movie just for variety. But this movie was a huge disappointment to me. Um, Summering is the latest from James Ponzolt. And um, I am actually a fan of his as a as a director, um, especially like his Sundance outings. Like I thought The Spectacular Now was great. I really enjoyed Smash, and I actually am one of the people who did, like, end of the tour. Um, But Summering follows four young female uh, friends who are on the brink of, like, starting their middle school years, and they come across a dead body. And if it sounds like Stand By Me, it's because it's basically a way, way worse version of Stand By Me. the one positive I will say about this movie is that it's 87 minutes long, which <laughs> um, was a nice kind of, I guess, runtime to have on a movie that that was this dreadful. Um, but and I, it, it brings me no pleasure to say this. Like I said, I, I enjoy this guy's um, p- particularly his indie work, but particularly with the way the movie kind of deals with potential suicide and um the connotations of what these girls actions are relating to i found it really off-putting as somebody who's dealt with suicide in my own life um and i just could not have been more um disappointed in this movie i I thought i thought it was very bad yeah it's a very very bad movie um i'm a little more lukewarm lukewarm on uh james ponsold uh i don't really like the spectacular now very much um i think that editor is actually pretty good uh but it left me like i wanted a little more from it it kind of in a way and then the circle is just that's that's a bad movie Ooh. yeah I, that's that's why i said indie indie james ponsold <laughs> is what i like fair enough <laughs> i didn't um, want to bring that one up yeah man that that's kind of one of those movies from the past decade I, I want to redo on. There's so much good stuff in that movie. Tom Hanks is a villain. I don't know. Anyway. Um, yeah, the, I feel like this movie... So this movie was shot in Utah. And I feel like this is why this is a Sundance movie. Because Sundance likes to promote films shot in Utah and promote that. Which, you know, sure. That sounds nice. Promote movies in Utah. There's been a lot of other really good Utah movies in Sundance before. So that's not the worst thing in the world. But... uh yeah, just to echo everything you said. Very bad, at least it's short. Um, it's very scatterbrained, and it has like this very bizarre choice of adding like a little magical realism to it uh, to kind of explain exactly what's going on, and it just kind of makes everything feel a little more off-putting because they're trying to be like, oh, isn't this so cute? And it's like, nah, dude, you're you're missing the point of like, yeah, like you said, like that the suicide angle of this movie is just very not well thought out. So, um. But the, but like that, this magical kind of element that you bring up, it's literally only in like the opening credit sequence, and then they completely drop it. 
Yeah, there's like a seance later on too, which is bizarre. I, I, I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah there is a seance. That's right. It's whatever it's trying to do, it's not working. Basically, yeah. <laughs> okay, yes, we're on the same page there. My favorite um letterbox review of this movie comes from just Jake, and it literally just says, "Bro, what is this?" <laughs> that's such a good review of this movie. Yeah, it is one of those where you're like, what, 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 what were you hoping to achieve here? Um, what happened? Yeah. yeah, like what? I yeah, truly do not get this one. But hey, can't can't win them all. Um, yeah, I want to move on from this movie. Let's move on to the next <laughs> same, category, same. Uh, which <laughs> also not the greatest category in the world, but it's the most okay movie, most okayest movie. Um, kind of the movie that just left you the most okay. Or cold, I guess. So, what was the movie that you were the most ambivalent about? The movie I was the most ambivalent about was Call Jane. Um, this movie, to me, what? So it's funny because there was a documentary about the same subject at the Sundance Film Festival of this um, group of women um, referred to as the Janes, who essentially helped women. Uh, get set up and receive abortions at a time where that was not available in our country and very likely a time in our future where it won't be available mm-hmm. in our country. But uh, this this movie was the kind of dramatization of, of kind of those events. Um, it, it stars a fictional character, um, but goes into the truth of kind of what this movement represented and how kind of it was viewed in those times in in American history. I was excited for it because it's directed by um, one of the screenwriters of Carol, which is um, obviously a really, really great movie that I I admire a whole lot. But I felt like this movie, I, I guess that, yeah, the, the, the way I would describe it is okay. Like it was an okay movie. I wasn't mad I watched it. I wasn't like stoked that I watched it it's like the perfect airplane movie I feel like but after it ended the first thing I thought is I just wish I would have watched the documentary about this like same exact subject so that's yeah that's where I land on call Jane I feel I'm a little higher on it I, I do feel the same way where I also I missed out on the documentary and I really probably just would have wanted to watch that because I think this is a really obviously a fascinating subject and um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Carol too, so that's why I watched this one. And yeah, it is, it's pretty okay. Um, I don't, I like the direction of it. Of Phyllis Nage, I think is her name, um, and is the director's name. Uh, I I liked what she was doing. It's very, I think it's 16 millimeter. It's if it, almost it's the very same style as Carol, where it's everything's a little hazy and obviously different. Uh, different decade that it's filming in um it just it does leave you a little cold i don't know i can't quite put my finger on it i think part of it is i really like elizabeth banks and she's the lead character here but i feel like i kind of wanted a different actress in that role i think she's good but there was something i feel like i don't know maybe kate blanchett, kate blanchett or something like that to pull the, keep the carol connections going i feel like someone like that really makes this like a almost a career defining role for them. Um, I liked her in the performance and I get why she's cast in it. Um, but it just didn't, like you said, it's, it's okay. It works, I, it, but not the greatest ever. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I'm just, I'm just going to say as well, one of the reasons why I chose this movie specifically for this category is a film I'm going to talk about later in the podcast. So 
That's, yeah. I just want to throw that in there as a little foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. It's this strikes you as a movie that you'd this is kind of like a like a matinee kind of movie that someone yeah. watches on a Saturday. Perfectly digestible. Like it's it's it gives you the information you need, get in, get out, and you yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine. That's how I would yeah. describe it. It truly is fine. Um that's how I describe it too. Um yeah, mine so my most okay movie was Watcher, uh, which is a Micah Monroe stalker movie which is it's kind of like what rear window and all the other kind of they're all a bunch of other stalker movies kind of just wrapped up together and it takes disturbia yeah disturbia, all of them yeah exactly um uh it's so it takes place in romania and she's here with her husband who's a i guess a big wig at a company or trying to be they just moved there she doesn't speak romanian so she has no idea what people are saying and she just looks out her window one day and there's some creepy dude silhouette of a dude just staring back at her one night she waves it waves back and then she starts to realize that when she's out in public it's the the same guy following her around um so i'll give the movie credit there is some good direction to it um it's certainly it's very like handsomely produced i it, it looks really good it looks like a much better movie than it is um it's directed by chloe akuno um i think she's a first-time director so I wouldn't be shocked if she made a really good movie down the line. Um, and I really like Micah Monroe. She's she's good in just about everything. Um, but yeah, this movie kind of just... It's the exact movie you think it is. It does not deviate whatsoever from the kind of the, the blueprint of all these movies. And it ends up kind of just how you think it would end. And that's kind of the movie. And so you, you either enjoy the ride enough to say that's okay or you just you kind of shrug like I did. So it really is very much like a just the, like the template of this movie that we've seen so many times before. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I also saw this movie and I agree with basically like everything that you said once again there. Um, yeah. It's like, it's, I think that that's my biggest complaint about is what you said that this film just has no interest in doing anything surprising, like exactly what you expect from what Nick just described. That's precisely what you get with this movie and it's like Micah Monroe yeah she's she's um as usual I'm also a fan of hers I think she's good in this movie and I do think that it's like well shot and directed like you said like there's some pretty there's there's like a shot that's um a slow zoom out at the beginning with that shows the title kind of card that I thought Mm -hmm. was a really cool I was I was like excited for the movie because it's like oh this is like really interestingly shot all that but I think, yeah, by the end of it, I was kind of just like, kind of, it was kind of just a shrug. It was like, that's it. That's, that's all the movie was, I guess. And um, I feel similar to this one as one last year that I saw called Knocking, that it's kind of just the same exact kind of movie. It's one of those thrillers that, yeah, they're just interested in being just a thriller. And that's, that's basically it. So. Yeah. There's, there's also a good performance by the stalker, which I don't really want to spoil here, but he's a, He's a guy that you know if you've yeah, watched you've a decent seen amount of movies. Yeah, yeah, he's one of he's he's one of those that guys. Yeah, you know, like I've I've seen him in a ton of movies. He's yeah. really good in here, and there's he, there's like a really pretty there's like a good amount of back and forths between those two characters. It's very well acted, but yeah, it just that's kind of it. Towards the end, it doesn't really doesn't really do much that interesting. So it's kind of a bummer, but we'll move on. So the next category we have here is. The movie you liked, but no one else did. Um, I feel like there's always 
like, like we mentioned at the top, it's kind of tough to gauge general interest the past two years with it out being in person. But I feel like you can still kind of get a sense of what movies that you're kind of going against the grain for. So um, what was the movie that you that fit this category best for you? Um, for me, it's going to be Alice, which is directed by Kristen Verlinden. Um, this is a film that stars uh, Kiki Palmer and Common, um, as well as other people. But uh, this is a movie that um, it starts off and I was really not on board the movie um, just because of how, I guess, where we are. I don't really want to give much away about this movie because it's a little bit, there's surprising element of the, of the premise. But basically where we're at, I was just kind of like, this feels like charted territory that has been told and it's kind of a tired trope in film these days. Um, but then the film kind of pretty quickly becomes something entirely different. And in a lot of ways, it kind of becomes a celebration of a certain type of like a black exploitation film. Um, and I think Kiki Palmer in the lead role is is super effective and she does a she does a great job of I guess kind of playing this character who is in a lot of ways a fish out of water um and yeah I just I I don't know what it was it just it worked for me I had a really fun time with the movie which from the opening like I said like 30 minutes I wasn't sure I was going to have any fun with this movie because the first 30 minutes are very harrowing and upsetting but um, yeah, it it really finds its footing, and I I I found this movie really solid, and um, it it has like a a two point seven letterbox average right now, which um, I think kind of proves that I'm kind of in the minority on this one. Yeah, it's from I haven't I didn't get a chance to see this one, but it sounds like a lot of people are making the comparison to Antebellum, uh, the the movie that came out. What's it two years? I still yep. haven't seen that movie because it just people didn't like it and i was like all right i'm good i'll pass on that it was one. bad it was bad yeah. and it's and there's like a lot of there's a like a lot of decade i guess flipping going on in this movie too and a lot of people made that comparison so i didn't get to see this one i'm worried i'm curious if people just saw that general comparison and just ran with it and said that they didn't like antebellum so therefore this movie isn't good either or i don't know yeah this movie just goes in more i guess that movie did not go in interesting directions it kind of was just that that kind of gimmick as as the premise but this movie goes in a lot more interesting places i think and the lead performance is genuinely really good i thought so yeah i like kiki palmer a lot she's gonna be in jordan peele's movie this year so i'm looking so excited for that i'm so excited for that it's my most anticipated of the year yeah it's one of mine as well i think she's i think she's one of our most untapped like almost movie star figures i feel like you see her just out and about on like social media and she's really fun and everyone likes her so i'm hoping that maybe she kind of has her moment here at some point because I, I really like her too um yeah we'll move on to my movie which is uh, riley stearns duel his follow-up from his last movie which i really liked that no one else liked or it seemed like no one else liked either um, I can't think of the name. I'm looking it up right now. The Art of Self-Defense. That's right. I liked it so much I can't even think of the title. Um, <laughs> but I thought that movie was really goofy and a super dry comedy. And if you thought that movie was dry, Duel is even drier. Um, 
I watched this movie. This was a fun one. I watched this movie with a group of my friends. It was, you read the premise, and it's basically the way it works is that if you have a terminal illness, you can clone yourself. So when you die, your clone takes over your life, and they can kind of just make your loved ones feel less sad because they still have you around. Um, so you'd think that kind of goes for like a serious sci-fi movie, something like something really interesting and weird and twisted. Um, and you think Riley Stearns is involved, so maybe there's a lot of action in it. Um, and this is really just a bizarre, almost Yorgos Lanthimos style comedy. Uh, it's for the first 20 minutes, uh, Karen Gillan stars in this movie. And for the first 20 minutes, you say, why is she talking immediately like a robot? And then it clicks that all this is a joke and it makes total sense. Um, and I feel like for a lot of people, they probably, they just said, what is this movie? It didn't pick up on that. It's actively making fun of itself. Uh, so I thought this movie was really goofy. Aaron Paul plays a really funny role in this movie. And there's a, there's a, there's a slow-mo action or I guess fight sequence is like probably one of the hardest moments I've laughed in a really long time. I thought it was really, really funny. So I feel like this entire movie is kind of a lark and I enjoyed that. I always enjoy those kind of movies. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I honestly kind of love this movie. Um, <laughs> I think that, yeah, what the, the first kind of filmmaker I thought of, like you said, was Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, just because of how dark and absurd a tone this movie has uh kind of reminded me of like the killing of sacred deer territory of Yorgos Lanthimos um I also thought Karen Gillan I I thought she was great in this movie and and yeah there are people who will like complain that she's like monotone but that's literally like the point of her performance um, and I also thought Aaron Paul, if anything, there was like too little Aaron Paul in this movie because oh, he's yeah. just so I great. Want more he, of him. Yeah, he works just super well in this movie. Um, this is a dark movie, a very dark comedy, but I like just found it so funny and, and interesting and full of ideas that I thought were really, really, um, you know, dystopian and exciting. And, and yeah, it, it just is a movie that the whole entire time I felt like I was on the film's wavelength. And so um, it sounds like, yeah, we both were fans of Duel. Yeah, there's a really good dance sequence in this movie that made me laugh really, really hard. It's a really good uh, example of editing in this movie. Um, yeah, I thought this movie was just a lot of fun. Shout out to Karen Gillan for continuing to just act like robots in all of her movies. <laughs> we have You have Nebula, and I feel like every other, like, like what was that movie? Gunpowder sky gunpowder milkshake that was it yeah gunpowder milkshake um yeah. i feel like she was she comes off as pretty robotic in that movie too but i feel like this movie weaponizes it really really good um yeah so, it totally works in this one for sure yeah so. i like this movie a lot i thought it was goofy it's i have a weird sense of humor so that's probably why i liked it too but we'll, we'll move on from there the next category is one we can probably brush over pretty quick is the movie you're most bummed you didn't see uh for me that was fresh which we talked about earlier i just I heard Sebastian Stan was doing weird things in this movie, so I'm kind of bummed I didn't get to see him do that. But what was yours? Um, mine was the documentary Navalny. Um, that's what it is, right? Navalny? Yeah. I saying that right? Okay. Um, Russian names are weird. Sorry, dumb American <laughs> here. Um, yeah. No, this one I really want to see. I'm really excited to eventually check it out. Yeah. that's all. I think that's honestly raising in my estimation. I really like that movie quite a bit. Um, 
But yeah, I feel like there's, I mean, there's so many. Like I said, people who say we can watch 60, 60 movies throughout the festival, they're lying. I don't believe them. So a lot of these movies sound interesting, and I'm sure they'll pop up, and I'll be one of my favorites later on this year. But yeah, I think before we get to our favorite movies, um, I wanted to kind of clear the floor for both of us to kind of talk about movies that didn't really fit into any one particular category that we wanted to mention uh, for good or for bad. So what, what was one of those movies for you? I'm actually going to start with The Exiles, um, which is a documentary that it follows um, this. What was her name? Why can't I think of her name right now? Uh, but it follows this filmmaker. She's a documentary filmmaker. Her name is Christine Choi. And she is, first of all, just want to start by saying she's a total like blast to be around she's in, this great in this movie. Yeah. 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 And the movie follows. Um, some of the students who were um, kind of leading the protests in Tiananmen Square in China. This film gets into a lot of the corruption that um, was in the government that led up to the, the June 4th massacre in Tiananmen Square. And it kind of um, follows these, uh, these exiles who were exiled from China, um, the people who were leading this student movement, um, which kind of like fluctuates from students to businessmen. Um, and it's told through the lens of Christine Choi, who was a person who was documenting a lot of this process at the time. So she's familiar with these people, kind of like knows them as like acquaintances. But um, this movie I thought was really powerful um, in terms of how it kind of reckoned with how these people feel about their choices years after the fact, decades after the fact. Um, I thought that that was all super, super fascinating and compelling. Um, but also this just isn't history that I felt like I had a whole ton of context or information on. Um, I, I'm familiar obviously with all the, the unrest that's been happening in China currently, which is just the same type of unrest that's been going on since the Tiananmen Square incident. Um, so I thought that this film was uh, very, very good. And I, I do think it's totally worth seeing um, to anybody uh, who wants to learn more about this period. Yeah, it's a really good history lesson, first of all, because like you said, I didn't really have a ton of background knowledge on the Tiananmen Square massacre either, but I thought it was really helpful in that instance, just getting up to speed. And then also, like you said, it's a really good, um, reflection on memory, um, filmmaking, and in Christine Choi's career as well, because she reflects on kind of being in the U.S. and what that allowed her career to blossom into, um, and how a lot of people just don't have that same opportunity. Um, and like these people are just all around the world; they can't go back to China because they're just going to—they're on a watch list. They're going to get arrested. So it really was a, a really fascinating documentary. If it plays just with with filmmaking as well, because a lot of this um, is kind of is framed as a project that wasn't finished by Christine Choi uh, during uh, when she was filming all all the students and businessmen uh, back in the day. So, really fascinating movie that I quite liked uh, as well. Um, yeah, the, the the first movie I wanted to mention was uh, Coconut's After Yang, which. Uh, I mentioned four of the five movies that I really liked in the festival were documentaries. This was the one feature film. Uh, I feel like this, this is an A24 movie. Uh, I think it premiered at what can last year. 
this movie knows exactly what it is. It's very deliberate and methodical, but it's also very exacting. Um, and it's one of those really interesting soft science fiction movies. Uh, it stars Colin Farrell uh, as a as a tea maker. He loves his tea in this movie. Uh, he has he has his family. Um, they have a, a robot like companion you can bring into the family, and she he acts. That's Yang in this situation. He acts as kind of a mentor to uh, the family's daughter, and kind of explains Chinese history to her. And she's because she's adopted. Um, and he, he explains kind of like the, the Chinese history and background and culture to her. Um, and he one day he just stops working. And so Colin Farrell has to take him to the shop and try to fix him. Doesn't work. He goes to a black market dealer, which is also a very interesting sense of bit of world building in this movie. Um, they realize that he's been recording memories. And then this the rest of the movie is just Colin Farrell di- deep diving into Yang's memory banks and kind of... It turns into a really, just really thoughtful reflection on, again, memory, but also um, humanity and our reliance on technology. Um, it's just, it's really, it's a really lovely movie. It's very experiential. There's a lot of plot points that happen early on in the movie, but then it just becomes like this, just really, kind of just like this mood piece where Colin Farrell is very much in a trance, just kind of trying to figure out what his his life means in, in relation to Yang's and... Uh, his wife was played by Jodie Turner-Smith, who I thought was really, really terrific in this movie as well. And um, yeah, there's a there's a performance and character um, from Haley Lou Richardson, who I continue to adore in every single movie I see her in, uh, that I really don't want to spoil because she plays a big part in un- unwrapping all of this. But yeah, this is just a very, very quiet, very thoughtful science fiction movie. It never really... A lot of the people whisper to each other, and it's... They're, it's just really thoughtful. I liked it quite a bit. Yeah, um, I'm right there with you. Uh, I was a big fan of Coconut's last film, Columbus, which also had Haley Lou Richardson in it. So I was really looking forward to this movie. Um, and I uh, thought that it totally lived up to my expectations. Um, like you said, I think that this is a really like gentle sci-fi exploration um it's it's really uh like you said methodical but it's also pretty subtle portrayal of the future like there's it's not you know like you're flying cars all that like back to the future part two nonsense it's more like how like you said how reliant we have become on technology and that's a huge part of the movie but i also what surprised me about the movie was how much it's about um like coming or learning about heritage in this case Chinese heritage I thought there was some really powerful there's a scene involving um Yang and uh, the little girl I don't remember her name in the movie but they're like looking at trees and they're having a conversation it's this really really powerful kind of um grappling with who who you are, where you're from, like what family means when you're adopted, just so many interesting like human um, science fiction concepts uh, that she's like learning from this character who's like a robot in the movie. And there's one line in this movie um, more towards the end that I feel like is a line that I'm just going to be thinking about for a, a super, super long time. It's a conversation between Yang and uh, Jodie Turner-Smith's character. 
And I just felt so like punched in the gut by like the one line. It said so much more than I feel like movies do in entire, entire films. Um, so yeah, any movie with sad Colin Farrell, it's a movie that I'm, I'm all for. So. <laughs> he is, he is turning into a really good, almost like elevated character actor. I like, I love some of the stuff he's been doing later in his career. And I think he's yeah. just, he is really he's good awesome. in this movie. Yeah, this I think this this movie is just a really fascinating because he's going through Yang's memories. It's a really interesting movie about not only memory, but it's also reflecting on moments that maybe didn't seem like a big deal to you, but were important in the grand scheme of things or to other people. And you're bringing new memories to these to these um, or bringing new emotions to these memories that didn't really hold a big place within you and i think there's something something really interesting and really reflective about this movie i i just really liked it i just like i said at the beginning just coconut it just feels like he knows exactly what he's doing with this movie there doesn't feel like there's like a wasted beat at all uh really it's really true to itself the entire time what one one more quick thing um opening credits a plus of this oh my gosh i can't believe i didn't mention it it's one of my favorites ever amazing i don't don't want to say more yeah nope (laughs) What was that? What was another movie you wanted to mention? I am going to take this moment to mention Eight Ninety Two. Um, this is a kind of thriller, true story film, um, starring John Boyega and Michael K. Williams. Um, R.I.P. He's great in this movie. Both are great in this movie. Actually, it's the true story of a man named Brian Brown who um, essentially he was a veteran who was disabled veteran and the VA, um, the classic institution in the United States that has absolutely no problematic elements, never makes anybody's (laughs) lives a living hell. Um, They, of course, made this man's life a living hell. So he reached his wits end and he walked into a bank and said, I have a bomb. And that's kind of set up of the movie. Um, this is probably my favorite performance I've seen from John Boyega. I think he is great in this movie. And this is kind of one of those movies that's like, it's like, um, a, a movie you can recommend to your parents because that's a very clear message. It doesn't really have any, like any fat on the bone. It's very, like you said, very deliberate in what it's trying to do and what it sets out to do. Um, and I honestly, it, it worked for me. I, I don't think it'll work for, for everybody because it's pretty standard kind of, kind of film, but I just like, I was pretty taken by the movie and yeah, seeing like Michael K. Williams, like, and, and how much kind of humanity he always brought as a character actor to these roles. It was like, kind of like a, a powerful experience, especially as like somebody who loves the wire and loved his work on the wire. So did you see this one? No, I didn't see this one, which I was really bummed because I really wanted to because I also love Michael K. Williams and just really just miss that guy a lot. And I, I've been really excited for post-Star Wars John Boyega because it seems like he's been talking a lot about how he just really, by the end, just did not like that experience whatsoever. And he's really taken a pivot as an actor. And I thought he was amazing in his piece of, uh, sm- of the Small Act series from Steve McQueen. I thought he was – that was tremendous – uh, the work he did in that one and um yeah I, I really wanted to see him here but yeah it sounds like he did a did a really good job i just think i'm excited to see because it seems like he is really 
interested in very issues minded movies, but also elevating them above something like maybe call Jane to single something out. It seems like he's interested in shedding a light on a lot of different ideas. And he's just also just a really magnetic performer. So bummed that I didn't get to see it. But um, yeah, we'll move on to my next one, which I feel like we should we should mention Nanny and won the won the grand jury prize at Sundance, which was really surprising. I oh feel yeah, like, <laughs> I feel like I didn't um, I had no idea what was gonna win, literally no idea, and this movie won, and I was just also just very shocked. Um, you saw this one, right? I saw Nanny. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, I don't really. It's a head scratcher. I feel like it left me. Maybe a little confused. Maybe that's part of the design. But um, yeah, I I don't know if I quite get the the grand jury love for it. But I I do find a lot I like in this movie. So this is I would compare this to the Netflix movie His House that came out I think last year, where it's yep. um, this this movie is about Aisha, who's a I think she's from Senegal and she's an immigrant uh, in Manhattan and she becomes a, a nanny for. Uh, a wealthy couple. The the wife is played by Michelle Monaghan. I thought she was really really good in this movie. And he uh, she is working to pay for her boy's uh, plane ticket to get him over to the states. He's she's been away from him for I guess a year now, and she starts to have some kind of break. And we learn of so this kind of this folklore. Um, like this evil spirit that starts to possibly intertwine with her life, and we turn into we we kind of kind of morph into this weird dream state of the lead character doesn't quite know what's real and uh, what isn't. And um, yeah, I think this movie's a little bit of a mess by the end. Uh, honestly, I think the the script is a little lower lower the place. It kind of screams as like a, a a first movie by a really talented person. Um, I thought there was a lot of really good um, kind of like director chops on screen. And it's this, it's directed by Nikata Jusu. And I thought she was really impressive as a director. But yeah, I think this is one of those where it's, you're waiting, waiting your whole life to make a movie and you throw all your ideas into the exact, into that movie and it becomes a little jumbled and messy. Um, even if it is really impressive in a lot of situations, but um, yeah, I would recommend this movie. I don't, I, I, it's still kind of, it's still rattling around in my head. Maybe that's a good that's a sign of uh, it's kind of staying power. But um, what did you think of this movie? Um, I I liked it. I I didn't like love this movie. Um, I think that uh, the lead performance by Anna Diop I think is um is very very good. And this film has some uh pretty interesting and insightful things to say. I think about the immigrant experience and how horrifying and um uncomfortable it can be like in terms of like payment at points in the movie there's just some really uncomfortable dynamics between how particularly upper class white people kind of treat immigrants and i thought that that is the most effective stuff in this movie um you name dropped the movie his house which was in my top 10 favorite movies of of last year or the year before whenever time has no meaning anymore whenever his house <laughs> came out that was one of my favorite movies of the year and i personally think that film does a better job at what this film is trying to do um just personally for me i felt the 
the metaphor felt so much more effective in that movie. And um, I agree with you. I think that this movie gets a little bit messy towards the end. And I don't think it entirely sticks the landing, but I do think there's a lot of very effective and unsettling imagery in this movie that did work for me. And some of the character dynamics were pretty, were pretty well drawn. So Overall, I'd say I liked it, but I, I am a little puzzled at this one for Grand Jury as well, I think, overall. Yeah, I, I, I was also reflecting a lot about um, his house, when I, like even during I was watching. I just think the horror elements worked a lot better in that movie. I wasn't really particularly unnerved by a lot of it in this movie. Uh, there's definitely a lot of interesting like things going on like cinematography wise oh, those are really interesting uses of blue and greens for there's a lot there's a big water element to this movie um but yeah i just wasn't really ever just unnerved by it i thought a lot of ideas it's rattling around i thought are really interesting um in terms of survivor survivor's guilt and things like that i thought that was really impressive so i wouldn't be shocked if i love jusu's next movie which i think she has a lot of talent um but yeah good for her she won grand jury i'm sure that'll like kickstart her and hopefully make her have a really good career moving forward but um wow do you have anything else you wanted to to name drop yeah just a couple more so emergency um i loved emergency um i in fact this is kind of the one that i feel like deserved that grand jury prize um particularly because of the screenplay um emergency is a movie that follows a what seems a familiar formula at first, which are two friends reaching the end of their college days and they wanna go on an epic night of partying, which is like kind of like the, you think of like, um, of course, like movies like Superbad come to mind or, you know, uh, the, the world's end with like the pub crawl, kind of like a, a mixture of those two types of movies, but in the college setting. Um, but all of this kind of, gets thrown out the window when they go back to their um, their rental home and they find a um, white woman passed out on the ground. Um, so it kind of becomes a conversation of we can't notify the authorities because how unlikely their story will sound and how likely it is that they won't believe their story. So the movie kind of becomes a a thriller about them trying to grapple with this situation. Um, what surprised me the most about Emergency is the way that it was so many different tones, um, sometimes within the same scene so effectively. And I feel like this is one of those movies that, for me, it's constantly upping the stakes in really interesting and um, exciting ways. And uh, it's obviously a film with a very clear message. There's um, a couple scenes that I think really um, kind of have some provocative things to say and interesting things to say, but I um, just was super taken by this movie. I was super taken by the relationship between the two lead characters. And um, I just, I, I honestly, this is the this is the one from the U.S. dramatic that I feel like I would I would recommend to the most people just because of how prescient a lot of these um, topics are. Yeah, I, I think I would agree. Where it's it's a really good blend of tones, like you said, like it really 
starts as like a boner comedy, like kind of like a super bad. And yeah, that takes obviously takes a turn as soon as they see the the white girl on the floor. Um, yeah, it's. I think you're you're higher on it than I am. I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I thought the first act was kind of amazing. I thought the the way it blends the tones, I thought were really good. Um, I think it's probably twenty minutes too long in my from my opinion uh from my perspective i just i had kind of lost steam a little bit and i think it's 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 um adapted from uh carrie williams's uh short film of the same name i believe um it kind of does feel like a short adapted to a, a a feature and from in my perspective it just feels like it kind of drags on a little too long but um i liked it a lot i thought um the performances in it were uh, like really really good and like you said i think it's it's definitely way better than a lot of the, these this style of movies because it obviously actually has things on its mind so I thought it was it definitely was impressive um, but yeah um, I wanted to drop one more here uh, which is The Territory which is a movie that, that it won the, the audience award for documentaries I believe right um, yep if, this is kind of one of this is one of those documentaries the entire time I was just saying how the how the hell did they get all this footage? So, um, this is, uh, how is the best way to describe this movie? It's almost cinema verite, but then it also has a lot of, um, kind of just inter- straight into the camera interviews, but this is directed by Alex Pritz. And basically he is following, following this indigenous community in the Brazilian rainforest. Um, and it's this is kind of in the aftermath after more of an authoritarian president was uh, elected in Brazil, and he's basically it's like saying like fuck those people and like take their land from them. So they are now dealing with all of these uh, Brazilians just coming in and just like rampaging through their lands and burning trees and like plowing stuff and getting ready for roads and in the land that they just think is is theirs. And um, it is just unbelievable footage where at some points like it's so harrowing where you're wondering if it's going to turn into like some kind of like snuff film where you're like is someone just going to like die on camera like i can't believe (laughs) alex pritz and his crew is still filming like what is going on here but yeah it's this unbelievably harrowing kind of just collection of i guess just over time of this indigenous community and them just trying to fight back against all of these people and you interview some of the 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 ransackers and they are just like complete sociopaths and just the way they rationalize everything they're doing is just really honestly just fascinating in the most terrifying way possible so this is just yeah it is just this one's kind of like it was a it was like a jaw dropper for me i really could not believe what i was watching the entire time yeah um i i totally agree with you on uh this one uh the yeah some of the some of the footage that they they acquired for this film is like unbelievable what you are seeing i agree with you there's always this underlying really um scary tension where you're you're thinking is you know violence going to break out at some point in this type of a very tense situation between these two groups of people um and yeah this movie has some of the most um upsetting portrayals of evil people i've seen in a movie in a very long time who this this is a very personal story with the territory um that the name of the movie is describing this indigenous group it's their home 
but there's like also an awareness in the movie that this treatment of the Amazon is also uh, critical in terms of our planet and our planet's climate. And I think that that is an interesting kind of thing that the documentary gets into as well. Yeah, it's truly amazing. Like these people, their obviously their population has been declining rapidly over the last few years. I think there's one moment in the movie where COVID comes into the into play here, and the one of the like one of the activists of the of the group says ten people caught COVID and died, and so five percent of the population or something like that is now taken off the earth. And it's just wild yeah, to think about so how nice. yeah. how small of a group these people are and how they're trying to honestly win like win a losing fight and it's just it is just really just gutting and sad and yeah for all the reasons you said it makes you it does make you feel pretty depressed (laughs) overall but it really is truly kind of like one of those fascinating holy shit they got all this on camera it's like it i really can't underestimate like or overestimate how crazy some of these people are where if they were if they were in like a like a dramatized version of this movie you would think they were just like too evil like cartoonishly evil like these people are just they're really scary Um, yeah so i just yeah i really like this movie Uh, do you have one more for us yeah just one more um and i'll try to make it quick um happening this is a film that won the golden lion award at the venice film festival um it takes place in i believe the 1960s yeah the 1960s in france And it follows a girl who is pregnant while she's a student in university and um, abortion is illegal. So the film follows a, this, this woman as she is trying to figure out a way to, to get an abortion um, to be able to help secure her, her future. Um, She's not ready to have a child yet. Um, The, the man who, who has gotten her pregnant is not anywhere close to where she is. Um, And this is an extraordinary film. Um, It is absolutely gutting um, to watch. Like this, this movie has, it's, it's a, it's a very, very good example of what implication can do in a movie. Um, Because a lot of the scenes that portray some truly, um, once again, harrowing imagery aren't showing anything at all, but this, the, the strength of the direction and the performance make the implication like borderline nauseating to sit through just because of how, um, how terrible this, this situation that this woman has to put herself through is. Um, and, but at the same time, the film doesn't ever feel like it's, exploiting this character for you know like shock value or whatever it reminded me in a lot of ways of never rarely sometimes always in the way with how it approached character and this you're just with this person like objectively witnessing them handle this situation that they're put into um and the lead performance by Anna Maria Vartolome, I believe. Sorry if I'm butchering that. Yeah, I'm um, happy you is, tried it, not me. <laughs> yeah, it it is incredible what this what this woman does in this. I I was like, it's it's by far the best performance I saw at the festival. Like n- nobody came close for me. Um, 
Um, did you see this movie? Yeah, I love this movie. Honestly, this plays like a horror movie, um, yep. but kind of in the way where it, it is is entirely objective. It's really just the camera is just always on um, the character's shoulder at all times. And it's really interesting how you notice people are like everyone around her is just subtly in the background. You know, this movie is all about her and her experience. And it takes place in, I think, the 60s, right? Uh, yep. In France. Um but there never really is any direct call out of that. You wouldn't like they, they don't say it's 1960 in the movie. You don't read a newspaper or anything like that. It's just so it gives like it gives the movie this very timeless quality. Obviously, to be able to be like, hey, it's still happening now, especially in a time where abortions might not have be allowed to happen anymore. So it's just it is just a really just really good work, and I think it's like it really is kind of up there with Never Really, Sometimes, Always. Um, obviously, just in subject matter, but in like the direction style and Audrey Dewan is the director and she is, yeah, she does kind of amazing stuff. It's incredible. Really, it's yeah. really, it really is like a pretty incredible work. And this movie, I also just, just won a few BAFTAs. So good on that. I hope that makes gives this movie more attention, but yeah, I think this movie comes out with through IFC later this year. And it is, it, it is, <laughs> it's so hard to watch at times, like you oh, said, man. but it is, yeah, it is really good and really urgent. Yeah, really can't recommend it enough. Ditto. Yeah, that. So that brings us to kind of the end of it all. Our favorite movies of the festival. Um, there might be some disagreement here, uh, but Spencer, what was your favorite movie of the twenty twenty twenty? I can't even say it. Jeez, the twenty twenty two Sundance Film Festival. So this probably could have also qualified for the category of movie i love that i guess not many other people did um it's goran stolebski's you won't be alone um and this is a film that um is really in a lot of ways it's unlike any other it's a horror movie but it's unlike any horror movie i've ever seen um there are certain filmmakers who you can make a comparison to, and I'll get into that in a second. But the setup of the movie is essentially uh, it, it takes place in Macedonia, and there is a woman who has an infant child. She's visited by a witch, um, and the witch says, I want to take your baby. And the lady says, I don't want you to take my baby. <laughs> and then um, she says, well, I'm going to take your baby whether you like it or not. So. The woman pleads with her to allow her to keep her daughter until she's 16 years old. Um, and the witch agrees. And that's basically where I guess I'm going to stop my um, summary. That's what I covered in my review for Movie Babble. Um, and I would recommend if you're listening to this and you have any interest in horror movies um, to not look up the trailer for this movie because I think it gives way too much away. But this is a film that blew me away like I, I I've only seen it once and I'm pretty comfortable saying that I consider this movie to be a horror masterpiece um, wow. because it is completely singular and it's reaching for something that I haven't really seen a horror film do before which is make this kind of grand but at the same time very personal statement about what it means to be human like this feels much more science fiction in its terms of its scope and what it's going for um 
And I just was completely taken by this movie. I was emotional throughout this movie um, with, with the, the way that this film portrays her humanity. I just felt super, super moved by. And um, by the end, I, was, I, I felt so grateful to have taken this experience. And I was just so, um, I was like on a high when this movie was over. I was just like, anything that comes after this tonight is just going to be a disappointment to me. Um, and I, yeah, I, I just like, I, I get why it won't work for some people. I think it's a specific type of a wavelength movie, but I was just totally on this, on this film's wavelength. Um, yeah, count me in. It was one of those people that this movie was not on, my, or I was not on its wavelength. Um, I thought it was okay. <laughs> to Bob, your effusive praise. Um, <laughs> I can, I totally get why um, you're you're over the moon for it. It it, it definitely is a like a singular type of experience, and you're, we're going to hear a lot of it's like a it's a movie, it's a horror movie directed by Terrence Malick is the way I would describe it probably. Um, mm-hmm. it's very, it's really, it is really going after that sort of tree of life, but horror kind of element and decades spanning kind of what it means to be human. Kind of like you said, I don't really, like you said, I also don't want to say much more than that. Um, cause it's also just a very experiential movie that you can't really quite put into words a lot of the times. But, um, yeah, I, th- what I'm still I'm still trying to figure out why I like to put my finger on why I don't really like this movie, um, and I feel like it really is aping a lot of that Terrence Malick energy too hard personally. Um, like I, it's kind of another one of these where I wouldn't it wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if this director went on to make kind of one of these all time great movies because there's a lot of promise in this first movie, um, but I feel like this is just too similar to kind of stuff that Terrence Malick has been considering for his entire career to really put it ahead of like some of the other movies I watched. Um, but it is something new me rapace is doing something in this movie that is very interesting. <laughs> so, um, I it definitely is one of the kind of the more like interesting and singular movies that premiered this year. Yeah. Like that's, that's the thing is, um, I, as, as a viewer, I am somebody who like, if it's like, a a big swing there's a good chance i'm gonna like really like the movie um a a good example that i always use is i'm the guy who loved a cure for wellness by cord verbinski i think that that movie was like (laughs) fucking amazing and so it's like with this movie i feel like there's a lot of that same energy that's like it's like the the kid when when you're a kid in in middle school and you're playing kickball and everyone's like back up because it's like the person's coming who's really good at kicking it it's like that's that's this director it's like he was he was just swinging for the fences with this one so yeah it's a it truly is something i am curious this is coming out through focus features so i'm curious what the the general consensus is on this one because f um, cinema score F cinema score. <laughs> That's what we're gonna look at. There, the people. There will be so many walkouts of this movie, Nick. This is another one that I wish I could have seen with the crowd just to see how many people walked out of it. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> There's a lot of animal torture in this movie too, along with the <laughs> the wispy winds of a uh, Terrence Malick kind of <laughs> and the, and the voiceover of Terrence yeah. Malick. Yeah. yeah. So. I know you love this movie and I'm definitely going to seek it out again because who knows 
This was in the middle of me doing a marathon, so maybe I just didn't give it the <laughs> attention it deserved. But um, yeah, this is it's something. <laughs> it is something. Uh, we'll move on to uh, my favorite, which is uh, a documentary called Descendant, which there are probably more kind of um, interesting uh, documentaries in terms of their structure. Like I think the territory is more of like a, wow, I can't believe they pulled this off kind of documentary. And the descendants kind of, I would say it's probably, it's kind of a very familiar structure now. It's just a lot of in-person or into camera interviews um, just from all, all these different people. But it's just, it's one of those where the story is just so incredible that it really just, uh, it, it just, just kind of took me off my feet. So this movie is about, um, the, the unearthing of this of like the last of what was considered the last known slave ship to come into the to the states it's this, the ship was called the Clotilda um, no one really knew what happened to it so because apparently the um, well they have we have the mayor family that plays a big part in this um, in this documentary but uh, a descendant or I guess a, a, an ancestor of the mayors who who was a, a slave owner torched the ship because at this point, um, have, uh, bringing slaves over to the States was illegal and you could be hanged for it. So uh, as soon as he brought his the slaves over to Alabama is where they came in the States, they torched the ship and no one ever knew of it. Uh, ever, no one ever heard of the ship ever again. And so the, the only reason that we know of this ship is because a lot of the descendants of these slaves kind of kept the, the history of it alive through just kind of word of mouth over generations. Um, so, cause no one ever really put it in the history books and no one really thought much of it cause everyone kind of just thought of it as kind of this legend that there wasn't really any, um, kind of just, they couldn't find the ship. So it's like, well, what's the point of even kind of recognizing this as history, but all of these people just kind of kept it going and made it, kept it a part of their histories, um, and their lineages and kept the search alive for the ship. And then. In this documentary, they find the ship, and it's this is the most amazing thing of um, all of these people's histories kind of like being accepted and kind of finally going into the history books. Um, and it's this just like this really super emotional um, kind of reflective look on history and who writes history. Um, and the interesting part is that the the Mayer family that I mentioned, the, their descendants now own all the land right around this community, which is um, pretty poor. Um, so you kind of have like this whole idea of as much as things change, things stay the same uh, for this area. And it's just this really fascinating microcosm, the kind of another one of those co- too good to be true stories of just race in America and um, just how this country really has not um, just re- like reconciled slavery at all <laughs> pretty much uh and it is i just i thought it was just super emotional and tremendous yeah um this is a super powerful movie uh it i i think that what kind of interested me about this movie is we've seen a lot of films obviously that deal with slavery um even some at sundance this year uh other than this movie of course but um what I also liked about this movie is that it it showed that history can be a cathartic thing as well, like knowing your roots and having that comfort 
of where you came from. It can be like an empowering and freeing thing, um, even when it comes from a place of deep pain and um, rooted in these, you know, this systematic or systemic oppression. Um, I, I, I found this movie a little bit like depressing at the same time, not just because of how heavy the subject matter is, but just like we are at a, a moment in our country where history, um, specifically black history is a subject of debate, particularly in the setting where this film takes place. And I found this to be a movie that, um, even though, like you said, there's, there is this empowerment of them having the confirmation that this ship that they find is like the confirmation of their own history. Then you see like the governor of Alabama saying basically like, you know, his, his bullshit politician response of, oh, well, hopefully we can move on from this now and look towards yeah, the future. <laughs> yeah. It's so like upsetting to see. And it's just like something that, you know, like black people have to deal with every single day in our country. Um, and th this is like a particularly extraordinary incident where, you know, there's like this, this really powerful thing that brought this community together. Um, and it takes place over multiple years too. So it was really interesting to see kind of how this, how this process kind of occurred. You know, there's this one guy, he seems like a pretty amazing guy in it who he's like one of the guys who helps um, bring up the ship. Um, I think he's a, a um, anthropologist in the movie, but there's a scene where he's like reckoning. He's a, he's a person of color, a black man as well. And he basically is like reckoning with his own feelings on his heritage, like on a stage in front of like the entire community. It's like this really like powerful moment showing this like group of people like connecting with one another over this kind of shared experience of their history it's like there's so many powerful moments like that in this movie so i'm i'm with you i i found this movie to be incredible and super powerful and it's very very easy to recommend yeah it's there's a there like you said so many great moments in it it's also a really good um it forces you to kind of reckon with the emotions you feel when you are learning about such traumatic moments in the past there's like one of the big pieces of, the, of this movie is talking about tourism towards this area now now that the clotilda, the clotilda has been found um and so they're going to make this museum and everything and one guy says you know for a lot of people they just go to a museum and say that was interesting and that was fun and they move on with their lives but they're not really truly getting it they're not understanding what's happening here and you have a few um, interesting white figures throughout the movie. Like there's one re investigative reporter who's really eager to say that he was the one who found everything. <laughs> and he's this, he's truly the savior of it all. And there's one guy who um, he, he can, he's he tracked his lineage back to uh, people who were slave owners at the time. And he's like, Hey, my, my slave owners were some of the, my guy was one of the nice ones. Basically. Is what Dude, he that, says. The, the, that moment <laughs> is like, I've never wanted somebody to stop talking more in my entire life. <laughs> I was, I was like, just, just stop, stop, stop. You're digging your hole. Like it's, so it's it was honestly more uncomfortable than speak no evil. It was like, just please stop. You're digging yeah, your own grave. You're so watching hard. Real shit. Yeah. It's so, it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> so, um, and like you said, the governor is just, like it's like the very boilerplate like i don't want to talk about the past i want to move on the future and it's like well this movie is all about how you can't really do that until we legitimize what became what came before and um 
yeah, there's a lot of stuff with the Mayer family that I don't even want to mention, but that makes it this movie even more diabolical and the way that how things stay the same over time. So it's just a, yeah, really good movie. I feel like I've yep. talked about this movie enough, but um, yeah, that kind of about wraps it up for this podcast. Uh, I think I've done enough sun dancing. Do you have any, I guess, overarching thoughts you want to leave us with or anything like that? I, I, I think we've talked it to death, Nick. Yeah, we've done it. We're good until we'll see it. We'll see you this time next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But all right, Spencer, it was a lot of fun talking with you as always uh, on Sundance. Um, where can, where can the people find you outside of this podcast? Um, um, on, on movie babble. And if we're, we're here to plug, I want to, I want to plug and congratulate my boy Bronco Henry on his 12 Oscar <laughs> nominations today. <laughs> Shout out to Bronco Henry. Just always. Yeah. Hashtag the Bronco best. Henry. Yeah. Yeah, you can you can find me. Just I guess figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Facebook. Easy. You're it's clicking Instagram. on the movie babble podcast. We're there. Yeah. That's where we hang out. We figured it out. So yeah. <laughs> have fun with that, everybody. But <laughs> thank you to everybody who tuned in. Uh Sundance is always a really fun kind of moment in my movie viewing calendar. So it's always fun to see all all these movies even though i kind of overdo it by the end but as always you can check out our content moviebabble.com you can find us everywhere but until next time thank you so much for listening